Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. We're back to Game of Thrones. Um, if you remember, we just um, finished that uh, very sad um, Eddard chapter. and Now we're on to Bran. On to Bran. And the illustration here, um, Bran is standing on the head of a gargoyle. And holding his hand out to a crow. And I think this is something from the past or symbolic. Something like that. Some kind of art. Um, The gargoyle actually is a man with a wolf head. And wolf... uh, Actually, no, I don't think that's wolf claw. That looks more dragon-like. You think? On On the paw? Yeah, it's probably just some kind of chimera. Something like that. But with a wolf head, probably for, like, you know, stark reasons or something. So, um, from Bran's point of view, it's seeming as though he had been falling for years. And he hears a voice whispering in the darkness telling him to fly. And Bran Bran didn't know how to fly. All he knew to do was fall. He's remembering back to when Maester Lewin had made a clay doll and dressed it in Bran's clothes and thrown it off the roof to tell Bran not to climb things because that could happen to him. And he says, but he never falls. But he never falls. Except he did. Except for he did because Jamie Lannister defenestrated him. So, uh, yeah, that's a word. Defenestrated. Wow. when, Thrown out a window. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh... He's, he's falling in his dreams still. His coma, basically. And he can see far below him gray mists. And he knows even in a dream you can't fall f- forever. Uh, you wake up the instant before you hit the ground. But he's thinking, what if you don't? Yep. And the the ground is closer, but still a thousand miles away down cold in the darkness no sun no stars only the ground below gray mist and the whispering voice and he wants to cry but the voice says not cry fly and you know, Brown's like I can't fly how do you know you ever tried and it's a high uh, thin voice and Brown didn't know where it's coming from as you can see this is a Kind of a trip out vision here, or yeah, the stream. Yeah, he's he's falling through. He's having a constant near death trip experience. And, and uh, a crow is flying with him, and he asks the crow to help him. And the crow says, "I'm trying." Say, got any corn? And he reaches into his pocket, and he does have corn, and it's sliding between. Between his fingers into the air, falling with him, and the crow lands on his hands and begins to eat. Yeah. Bran asks him if he's really a crow. Um, which, uh, that could be some uh, foreshadowing there. Well, it could be hinting at what's to come. We might discuss toward the end of the chapter what, what's to come once we put a good spoiler warning on it. Yeah. Um, are you really a crow? And the crow asks, are you really falling? And Bran says it's just a dream. Is it? asked the crow. Yeah, and the crow says that he'll die when he hits the ground. And Bran says he'll wake when he hits the ground. And the crow's just eating corn. Um, and Bran's starting to see details of the ground below him now. And he closes his eyes, begins to cry, and 
The crow says, that won't do any good. The answer is flying, not crying. How hard could it be? I'm doing it. And the crow just flaps up. And Bran now points out the obvious there that the crow has wings. And uh, the crow says, maybe you do too. Yeah, and uh, there are different kinds of wings, the crow is saying, so... Uh, and um, Bran is looking at his arms that have no feathers, and they're looking too skinny. And Bran wonders if it always looked like this. And you know, the the real reason is because you know, in reality, he is starving and getting by on only a bit of honey that and water that yeah, they can get he, into his mouth. He, the crow saying that his lifeline is up, and. Uh, if he doesn't wake up now, he's never going to wake up again. And um, the crow is telling him to look down, and Bran is looking down, terrified, and he can see um, the details much more clearly. Um, he's seeing Winterfell um, in a bird's-eye view. And... Some of this, I think, is the past, and some of it is the present. Yeah, well, that's the thing that we were discussing before we started this podcast. How much of this is actually happening right now? Because he sees Rob um, (laughs) practicing swordplay in the yard. Um, And he sees Hodor... But the idea is he might be having an out-of-body experience. He's seeing Hodor... Except, yeah, Rob did stay, though. I I forgot for a second. Um, He sees his mother in a cabin of a ship looking at a bloodstained knife on a table in front of her. Oh, she didn't even clean it first. Nope. Um... She, he sees Sir Roderick um, throwing up over the rail of the ship. Yeah. And the storm gathering, and he looks south, and he sees the trident. He sees his father with his face full of grief, pleading with the king, and sees Sansa crying, and um, Arya watching in silence and holding her secrets hard in her heart. Uh, so... Bran can somehow tell by looking at Arya in this vision that she has secrets. Well, and he... Uh, he knows his sister. But he's also seen his family grieving in real time over the... Over... The dire wolf. The dire wolf and... Um, Arya and uh, the butcher's boy and her wolf, you know, being gone into the wild. Um, he sees shadows, a shadow as dark as ash with the terrible face of a hound, which I think is, um, a bit less, uh, literal, more symbolic. Yeah. That's, um, Sandor Clegane, I yeah. think. A giant in armor made of stone, and when he opened his visor, nothing was inside but darkness and thick bla- black blood. Now this also, if I discuss it at this second, it's spoilery, but yeah. it's pretty well guessed in this fandom by this point what that is in the future um he looks across the narrow sea to the free cities and the dothraki sea and vase dothrak and um the jade sea and ashai by the shadow where dragons stirred beneath the sunrise yeah 
Well, that's another thing we come up with. Uh, so, is this happening in real time? Are there dragons there? Like, are there dragons there now, or is he looking into the past about how dragons used to be there? Or yeah. did he just hear that dragons had come from there and... And imagine that. Yeah. So, what is that? But... I I always, I kind of feel that it's implying that this is all either happening in real time or he's traveling through like space and time. And I guess you the reader's not really exactly meant to fully know that. And I guess it's a And he looks north and sees the wall and he sees his brother um John sleeping in a cold bed with his skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled from him. It, in these words. Yeah. Um, kind of some death imagery there. Yes, yeah, so that's another thing. Like, what is going on? And is... he looks on beyond the wall, the forests, and rivers of ice and dead plains where nothing grew or lived. And further and further north to the curtain of light. So I think it's some aurora borealis and beyond that curtain. And he looked deep into the heart of winter. And he cried out afraid and the heat of his tears burned on his cheeks. Yep. And the chorus says, now you know, and now you, you know why you must live. And Bran is so confused. He says, why? Because winter, winter is time. coming. Yep. And Bran looks at the crow. The crow looks back at him, and it had three eyes, and the third eye full of terrible knowledge. And Bran looks down, and he sees spires of ice with um, thousands of uh, skeletons of other dreamers impaled upon their points, and he was afraid. Yeah. And he says, can a man still be brave if he's afraid? And he thinks back his father's voice, that is the only time a man can be brave. Which is a theme that comes up in this series. And um, the crow says, true, is fly or die. And it says, death reached for him screaming, and Bran spread his arms and flew, and wings unseen drank the wind and filled and pulled him upward, and the terrible needles of ice were seated below him, and the sky opened up above, and Bran soared, and it was better than climbing and better than anything, and, um, while this is happening, the crow, um, goes for his face and starts painfully pecking the middle of his forehead between his eyes. Yeah. And Bran is, what are you doing? And um, the crow opens his beak, and then Bran sees that the crow is really a serving woman with long black hair, and he knew her from somewhere. And she um, drops a basin of water and shouts, he's awake, he's awake, and Bran touches his forehead, and uh, he realizes that he's awake, that there's nothing... Bleeding or anything on his forehead, but he can still feel it. He still feels it, it's still burning. Bit reminiscent of Harry Potter and his uh, scar. Well, the whole thing is about the third eye awakening. Yes, that's that's very much a a symbolic thing that um, the the crow is opening his third eye by pecking um, enlightenment and all that. Yeah, he had enlightenment pecked. Directly into his brain by a three-eyed crow god, basically. And, um, he feels movement besides the bed, and he tries to get out of the bed, but he, but can't. he can't, and he, and something landed on his legs, but he didn't feel that either, and 
A pair of yellow eyes looked into his own, and it was his wolf. And um, Bran sees how much bigger the pup has gotten, which means how long he's been out. Yeah. And pups grow fast, but yes. And he... It would have been months, at least. And That's the thing, and months is a long time to be in a coma. His brother, Rob, comes in, and the wolf is licking Bran's face, and Bran just says calmly, his name is Summer. Yep. And now we're going to discuss this a little bit more, and we will get spoilery, so spoiler warning in place. You got that? Yeah. Now, first off, the wolf's name being Summer, I think, personally, it's uh, sort of the antipathy of winter. Winter is the enemy, and the wolf is... Yeah. Well, the wolf is the, uh, the, the symbol of hope. So, that's a major part of it, and the idea of the wolf symbology is pretty strong there, and it'll, it's been strong throughout the book, and I'll talk about that at some point. Now, the three-eyed crow itself, which in the TV show was turned into the three-eyed raven, which is a slightly different bird, but it doesn't really matter to this, um, is... This is definitely um, an entity located beyond the wall that is trying to specifically contact him. Yeah. Um, and this entity is later understood to actually be um, Blood Raven, and um, before that he was Brynden Rivers. Um, um, I do not want to get this wrong. He's of the Targaryen line, but not... Rivers is a bastard name like Snow. Yeah. And... We, we just... I, 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 I assumed it was Targaryen, but I don't know. You know that better than I do, Sarah. He was ambitious, and he was into sorcery, and um, definitely, you know, he was messing with some crazy powers, and... He eventually ended up being forced to join the Night's Watch, and he rose high in the Night's Watch, even uh, became Lord Commander at one point, and now, spoiler, 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 he's beyond the wall somewhere, and he's contacting Bran. Yeah. He's, yeah, well, we won't, I don't know how far we're going to get into the spoilers, I not yeah, I don't want to go too far with that. Um and I'm waiting for all the very hardcore Targaryen fans being like, no, there's more to him, there's more to him, and I know there's more to him. But I was prepared to talk about this uh brand dream not go over every detail of Brendan Rivers and his life. Yep. Um This, um, the shadow with the face of a hound is, I think, pretty obviously the hound. There's another I missed mentioning. Armored like the sun, golden and beautiful. Um, that's Jamie. Yeah. And Jamie already, Jamie, Jamie even says the line, 
he says the things I do for love. So that's uh, he's remembering that being pushed out, and that's when the <laughs> the crow said to not forget that and put that aside. And the giant in armor made of stone. Um, okay. That's pretty widely thought to be the mountain, um, the hound's brother, and. Um, this is a big spoiler, but later in the book, he is probably undead. He may even be headless in his armor. Um, I'm not going to go into how or why. Well, yeah, we, we, we get into that later. But this is probably what he's seeing. And that's one of those discrepancies that, like, you know, they don't, they don't do that exactly in the show, but, you know. They do something different. No, so. they'd have to mess with more CGI, and that's yeah. more. Yeah. Um. Now about all the impaled skeletons, I actually have a dark theory about this, and this is my dark theory. It I didn't get it from the internet somewhere. Well, I presume it is. So go ahead. I think that there have may have been other people in comas that. Just didn't make it? Didn't make it that the raven tried to contact, and that's them. Oh, that could be it. Could I be said it was dark. Died in a coma, yeah. I could be totally wrong. It could just well, be... Well, it could be part of... Maybe that's part of where the undead thing comes into or whatever. Like, I don't know. There's, like, a more, like, stuff going on. Well, it may be possibly. connected with... Yeah. Whites. Who knows? But that's a good one. That's, uh... That's one of those things. I wonder if that would come into play later somehow. But who knows? I mean, I'm still, I'm still only one book in. So, um, do you have any thoughts about this deep in the heart of winter and what that is? Besides, you know, obviously, very um, Arctic regions and um, past the forest, past even tundra, just. It does, it does feel like it has sort of a magical element to it, but... I think it's probably where the White Walkers started. Yeah, some sort of netherworldly element to it. Um, that's sort of where that happens. And the whole Three-Eyed Crow, that's uh, something that's going to... Yeah, I mean, that that that's... that's we'll just say that's kind of here to stay, so... Get get look forward to seeing more of that. Do you have anything more to say about this chapter? This short, uh, well, five he, page. He wakes up. They're going right to him. He uh he can't. He's clearly paralyzed. They're gonna have to clearly take care of him. But I don't think he understands that he's paralyzed yet because he just woke up and he's a kid. But yeah, well, he already tried, and you know, I think he might. I don't think he has the full implication of why he couldn't get yeah. out of the bed yet, or why he didn't feel a uh, half-grown wolf jump on him. Yeah, that's probably true. So, uh, so, you know. That's one of those things where I think uh, makes Bran's character uh, and his sort of connection between what is implied to be two worlds pretty interesting. And you get these weird little glimpses of uh, of what lies beyond, as you know, but uh, they're glimpses, basically, from different regions and cultures and 
things. Makes it pretty fascinating. And all of them, except for possibly that Heart of Winter, which hasn't been visited yet, are, and, um, Ashai, which has not been visited directly yet either. These are all relevant to the plot lines of the other characters. Yep. And someday, if that Winds of Winter ever comes out... I think the dragons are real. (laughs) I don't know. I want them to be. Not that I really see anybody likely to directly end up in Ashai. Just the way that their plot directions are going. Yeah. Ashai itself, little tangent, it's not really talked about in the main series in as far as description goes, but uh, other fans don't seem to like me saying this, but it very much reminds me of Mordor from Lord of the Rings. Very volcanic, the water's no good, um, a lot of sorcery ash and uh, other fans like to compare it to Lovecraftian stuff which I I haven't read Lovecraft so I have and I have read further of course so I've read I still think there's some Mordor going on in the inspiration well that's Lovecraft he didn't take inspiration from that necessarily but they all like you know all these writers were so a lot of the writers were... You know, and it seems right. like a fitting kind of place for dragons to come from, except for the obvious lack of normal prey. I mean, a lot of that was inspired from, you know, writers like Poe. Uh, and uh, to put some uh, Howard in there, too, um, they have a city, a city of Stegai, which is obviously a reference to Stygia with the letters mixed around. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of place that Bran is either seeing or imagining dragon stirring. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I guess there's not more to say just now. Oh, I think that sums it up pretty well. It's the first of many... Things of brand weirdness. And the next chapter is going to be revisiting Catelyn. Uh, remember when Bran was watching her on the ship and uh, Sir Roderick puking at the rail? That's it. Yeah, uh, that's that's what's coming up. So again, he's seen things that are going on. That's what I'm saying. At the same the time, are, I don't know. I think possible. That would be the idea: is that he was omnipresent. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Castings the Fire podcast and Yep. Um we'll be back soon for another episode. Good night. I think that went well, don't you?